really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, as always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend, and there was a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what? As you all know, my partner and I have a band. And recently, we've been writing a ton of great new songs. We we got pretty bogged down learning covers over the last couple of years, mostly because we've been, you know, practicing remotely and, you know, not seeing other humans. But, you know, being back together in the same room has led to a lot of new material. We've got several shows coming up as well. In fact, we had to turn down a gig because it overlapped with another one, which is, you know, a development out of the range of possibility during lockdown time. It, it's it's super fun. I'm feeling really good about the material and all the new stuff. And it's gratifying to know we'll soon be in front of people sharing it all. So if you know anyone who can get us a gig playing before our Free Jacks game, I mean... Let me know. That would be amazing. Also, if you are, in fact, in the Boston area and have any interest at all, just get in touch with me and I'll share some details with you. Good times. He's stupid. He's People have to know. Well, Isa, I thought it was good news, though, you know, many, many people out there might disagree. So from The Guardian, early last week, of course, this is in reference to England's record-setting loss to France. Quote, it is 20 years since England became the first and still only Northern Hemisphere side to win a World Cup, and some blunt home truths can no longer be avoided. If the record defeat in 113 years of hosting tests at Twickenham symbolized anything, it was exactly how far English rugby has now fallen and how much it is going to take to restore the national team to former glories. Maybe Saturday evening is the rude awakening required to alert the Rugby Football Union to the full extent of the rot that has set in on and off the field because increasingly it does not seem to matter who is coaching England, which players they select, how they try to play, or even the volume of noise made by their supporters. A bigger picture is now evident. English rugby needs saving from its bloated, short-sighted, and underperforming self. While it is probably the case that anyone would have finished second to a side playing as wonderfully well as France, the final 53-10 scoreline reflected a modern chasm, the modern chasm that has opened up between the two nations. The difference in class at lock, number eight, scrum half, and inside center was particularly stark, as were England's travails at the breakdown. Failed to improve markedly against a Grand Slam chasing Ireland in Dublin on Saturday, and another horror show will swiftly unfold. Well, we'll get to that one. But make no mistake, the fault line run significantly deeper than simply the brilliance of Antoine Dupont, Gregory, uh, Gregory Aldrit, Thibaut Flamand, uh, Jonathan Dan uh, Dante, and their musketeering confrères. <laughs> I guess I probably should have proofread this before I started to try to say it. Humility has not always been the primary trait associated with the RFU, but bucket loads of it are now required with English rugby in barely better shape these days than the beleaguered game in Wales. Woo, that's a shot fired. 
without reform of the union's priorities and structures, at least another decade in the wilderness awaits, unquote. That, of course, brings us to our thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week are with friend of the pod, Dr. Harley Worthy, who, as of the first day of spring, is now a new dad. I imagine he and his partner are completely exhausted, but I am just so happy for them. I wanted to share it here. Hopefully that's all right with him. As I say this, I realize I probably should have asked. uh, Update, I did. Uh, Harley, my friend, this is such great news. I just wish you all the best. I, I feel supremely confident you will be a smashing father. There's just so much amazing stuff to look forward to. My own son turns seven in about a week, which blows my mind, frankly. So I'll just offer the same advice a good friend gave to me. Savor each and every moment, even the frustrating ones, because before you know it, they'll be gone and you can never get them back. So yeah, you'll be tired like all the time. But even when you're up in the middle of the night with suitcases under your eyes, just try to pause just for a moment. Think just for that moment on the amazing thing you've created and how lucky you are to be together. Then go wash your hands because they will definitely be poop all over them. Cheers, my friend. All the best to you. So good. Okay, that brings us to our reviews. And of course, we start with the Six Nations. It was Super Saturday to wrap up this year's tournament. We got things going with Scotland versus Italy at Murrayfield. Uh, The question is, how annoyed was I that the replay completely skipped the anthems? Well, the answer is very, very, very. Either way, it was a much-changed Scotland side with, you know, among the more notable names, Finn and Hoggy both unavailable. If I said I wasn't incredibly nervous about their chances, I would be lying my butt off. So apparently this, this was the first time in four years that neither player had been available for a Six Nations contest. Good stat. So Italy got the first shot at points, but Tommaso missed a Pretty straightforward kick, and I wondered if that would prove to be an omen. Although three penalties against Scotland in just the opening five minutes may well have been another one. Um, Scotland were lucky to prevent a try that was more due to Italy's lack of accuracy than to good defense. And as the visitors got themselves on the board, the crowd was just taken completely out of it. Speaking of which... By the way, very curious, I really looked hard to see signs of the tribute to Siobhan at the eight-minute mark. Um, I couldn't see anything on my version of the broadcast that I get here, at least. Um, If you happen to be there in person, please reach out, let me know what you saw. I would love to know how that went. In any event, it was one of those lovely moments where the comms were saying, wow, Duhan hasn't scored a try in three games. That's not like him. And presto, a piece of magic scoring a flying try right in the corner, though Kinghorn couldn't get the extras. Gotta say, Angus Gardner was a little inconsistent in his approach. He was hyper keen to enforce these new sort of guidelines about playing quickly except when he felt like taking his sweet time to explain things. At one point, Ben White was jumping out of his skin to get a quick tap, and Gardner just kept saying, no, 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 just wait, until, frankly, it was too late to take it. You know, uh, obviously a minor thing, but kind of annoying, and probably especially if your name happens to be Ben White. Seeing Scotland get shut down on the goal line was also frustrating as heck. Like, where's Falau Fainga'a when you need him? Over and over, they just shoo easy points to go for the corner, and each time, they'd end up just handing it right back, just a sloppy display across the board. Quote, they've been really wasteful in possession, unquote, said the comms, putting it, you know, far better and more simply than I did. Thanks, guys. Uh, it, 
it almost looked like they forgot how to practice this week. It was it was just hard to figure out what you were looking at exactly. However, a- after what felt like nine chances in a row and taking advantage of a yellow to the Italians, it was Kinghorn finally getting through to retake the lead. But this one was clearly anyone's game. Both sides just failing to grab onto it. 12-6 to six was your halftime score. In the second half, it didn't take too long for Kinghorn to get a second try, and it looked like he was finally starting to click after what, for me, had been a shaky start. So I honestly think he's a very, very good player, but sometimes, or he just always seems to play better off the bench, right? Like, he just, I, I feel like he's somebody who needs time to get his engine revved up to the right level, to see things in front of him, to see how they're going. I just feel like he's always better when you bring him in, and that impact can be incredible. I do think he can be incredibly good. Anyway, side note, have any of you ever noticed that George Turner perpetually looks like he just accidentally swallowed like a really gross, hairy bug? Anywho, it was 19-6 to as we approached the hour mark. Italy finally broke through for their first try. The crowd and me sighing with relief as they missed the conversion to lead uh, leave the lead at two scores. Of course, almost as soon as I wrote that, however, it was Garbisi slotting a penalty and the collective sphincter tightened noticeably. Allie Price, though, whew, he had an amazing breakaway to relieve some pressure, but Scotland quickly handed it right back again. And the comms shouted of Italy, they're not done here yet. <laughs> Quote, if you're out there watching with your Scotland replica jersey on out there, you're probably feeling very thankful Ange Capoazzo isn't out there, unquote, said the comms. And you know what? I felt attacked. I mean, accurately so, but nevertheless. <laughs> uh, Italy, they were right on the goal line, hammering away. And as I shouted, knock it on, knock it on, and my screen, they decided to listen to me. And it was a Scotland scrum with 30 seconds left on the clock. And then, oh my word, what a finish. Seeing Angus Gardner's arm go out for the advantage, rather than just kicking it out, Ali Price ripped it out wide to Duhan, who popped it over to Kinghorn, who showed more speed than I even knew he had, keeping ahead of three chasing players, getting a hat trick and a bonus point win for Scotland. Just a, a shocking, mind-blowing ending. I felt utterly wrung out. 26-14 to 14 was the surprising final tally. I don't recall ever seeing Gregor looking so happy in all my days. Jack Dempsey, subject of the vast majority of the Scottish rugby blog's semi-erotic fan fiction, he had a huge impact out there, seeming to show up exactly when you least expected it, and he ultimately took home the player of the match honors. Jimmy Ritchie was the recipient of the uh, Katita, I hope I'm saying that right, Cup trophy, which is something I knew nothing about until that very moment. Somehow I entirely missed it last year in its inception, so naturally... I went and looked it up and found the Katita Cup is a trophy in rugby union awarded to the winner of the annual Six Nations Championship match between Italy and Scotland. The trophy commemorates Massimo Katita, a former uh, Italian captain and Scotland scrum coach who died of COVID-19 in 2021 at the age of 54. The title was first contested, contested in 2022 following the 2022 uh, Six Nations Championship match between the competing nations. Wow, that was an incredibly repetitive sentence. And was presented by his brothers, Marcelo and Michelle Katita. The establishment of this trophy results in Scotland competing for a trophy in every Six Nations match. The Calcutta Cup versus England. The Centenary Quake against Ireland. The Old Alliance Trophy versus France. The Dottie Weir Cup versus Wales. And now the Katita Cup versus Italy. Whew. Now, I just, I, I mean, I need to go find some sort of emotional refill because at the moment, that reservoir is 
empty. Holy cow. So France versus Wales was our second offering of the weekend. I was very excited once again to have Philippa Tuttiet back on comms, who was clearly even more nervous for how Wales would perform than I was. I mean, but when you look at that lineup, I mean, it's a really good group and an interesting mix of youth and experience, including Talupi Falatau getting his 100th cap on the day. Oh, of course, gone are the days when we all join together to say a five, six, seven, eight, which France will show up. This one had the chance to get ugly in my mind. The opening seven minutes were all the home team, though, with George North getting his first try for Wales in around two full years. France looked a little shell-shocked. However, Entomac, or as they've been calling him on comms and, you know, cards on the table, that means I probably am saying it wrong, but they like to call him Tumac. Uh, he turned things around with a com- just completely slicing his way through some very soft Welsh tackles, to be fair, getting it to DuPont, who sent a worldy out wide to Penno for yet another try. The comms couldn't even get over it. What a freaking play. What a player. And that could be in reference to any of the three people I just mentioned. In fact, just brain popping skills on display. And what a day. The tie wouldn't be broken until Tomos Ramos slotted a penalty. And while Wales had all the time of possession, France had the lead. At that point, they seemed to remember who they were. And things started rolling their way, converting both of their only two entries into the Welsh 22, with Ramos converting from both sides of the field. He is on fire these days. Imagine if they'd actually bothered to enforce his bans recently rather than just saying they were concurrent. Like, could have been a very different tournament, at least in the beginning. Just say it. As we ended the half, it was 20-17. to 17. After only three minutes in the second half, it was pod favorite Weenie Antonio, uh, Antonio on the receiving end of a sweet little pass to crash through and over. And when Fiku went through just minutes later, I think I spotted a smile on Fabien Galtier's normally inscrutable visage. So rather than the, ba- the brass bands we usually hear in these matches, it was the entire stadium erupting into song as the beautiful spring day in Paris quickly transformed into a nightmarish hellscape for the visitors. Once France get rolling, they just start to try more and more stuff. And on a day like this, everything they did seemed to go their way. We might have been looking at something similar to the Twickenham massacre of last week. I wrote, um, Wales did, did find a little bit of joy getting a couple of tries in fairly quick uh, succession with the comms hollering, Gatlin's guns are firing, for whatever reason. But the home team inexorably built their lead, getting another try from Penno, and this one was done. Quote, some positive signs for Wales, despite the scoreline, unquote, they said. And right on cue, it was Rio, uh, Rio Dyer in the corner to add some respectability to the totals. I mean, France are a buzzsaw right now. Today, it was 41-28 to 28 at the double whistle. What a match. So, Ireland versus England would finish off the men's six nations for the year. Ireland obviously looking for a grand slam, which would be their first ever in Dublin. They did win one before. It was in Belfast, however, and that was back in 1948. In fact, on the same day that Danny Kerr turned 60, as far as I can tell, England got off to a good start, seemed to frustrate the Irish designs. Um, over and over, the comms just kept saying, Ireland look rattled out there. They look rattled out there. Um, they found themselves leading and holding all the momentum up 10 to 6 a couple of minutes after the clock had passed 40. It was Freddie Stewart getting a red card for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Honestly, a bit of a travesty of how the rules are, you know, sort of interpreted these days, at least to me. Um, I mean, if someone runs straight into you while you're desperately trying to avoid contact, 
seems weird that that would end your day on the pitch, right? I know this sounds dangerously close to me rooting for England, but I thought that was a bit of a miscarriage of justice and almost certainly spelled disaster for the visitors. Sure enough, pretty much everything went Ireland's way after that. I admit I'd effectively checked out. I don't usually complain about the rules or the levying of cards and all that stuff, but on one hand, we had a guy getting a red card for standing there, while on the other, Anthony Watson got tackled quite literally by the neck, and that didn't even warrant a second look, so this one was put to bed long before it was over. After all was said and done, that was the end of a roller coaster tournament for another year with some unforgettable moments, and Ireland fans... Oh, Ireland fans everywhere must be over the moon with a grand slam earned at home 29 to 16. The fans in Dublin absolutely exploding in the stadium. Just just imagine the parties that night. In fact, I think I should probably go check the Internet to see if Dublin still exists as a city at this point. Okay, switching over to round four of Super Rugby Pacific, you know, I have the feeling they just love the word super down in the Southern Hemisphere. This weekend was the super kids round in super rugby. <laughs> Everything's super, man. Uh, it easily could have been dubbed the super windy is all get out round, of course. You know, because, I mean, well, you get it. As always, we put out a poll asking which of these fixtures would be our official game of the week in super rugby. And unsurprisingly, the super match that was the super game of the super week the most mouth-watering matchup of the year so far topped our results, meaning the also-ran Blues from last year at home for the perennial champions, Crusaders. I mean, how could it not be? So, right off the bat, what an atmosphere for this match of the super, super, super rugby Pacific. Uh, it was a rematch of the final from nine months ago, and though both sides had some injury issues, the lineups just it looked like All Blacks A, All Blacks B. What a clash of talent. Also, right off the bat, I see that KFC doesn't just have those bucket helmets for fans. They are now fully customized with, in this case, blues, branding, colors, a whole lot. If anyone out there can please, please get me one of those things. I'd be forever in your debt. Anyway, Richie Mwanga, he was back to starting for the visitors. I saw then that he was just, he's just 28 years old. That the, doesn't it seem like he should be in his mid-30s? It's weird. I mean, that's that's great for New Zealand. A anyway, it was great to see him back there running the show. And hey, Fergus Burke. Regular listeners will recall, I think I may have mentioned the name Fergus Burke more than any other throughout the course of last year's entire Super Rugby season. And it's it's frankly been way too long. Tonight, they had him slotted in at fullback, and it was 7-5 to five after 17 minutes. Embarrassing side note, though. They said his name as they showed him being congratulated by his teammates, and I suddenly realized, despite how much I enjoy his game and single him out like week in and week out and constantly bring him up, if he had been at the grocery store today in line with me, I would have had no idea. I don't think I would have recognized him in a million years. Anyway, an instant classic was what I wrote after 23 minutes as Caleb Clark smashed one down. This one was just getting started. Another name I haven't mentioned in a while, Lester Fainga Anuku. He, he grabbed a sweet little score and cruising towards halftime. It was 21 to 19. So good. Some of that mystical magic where a yellow card to a forward leads to an uncontested scrum, which may or may not mean you need to send an additional player off. Like, I, I swear, I don't understand those bits of the laws, but it's obvious the refs don't either. 
there's always just a litany of people asking other people to be like, wait, do we have to send him off? Do they get out of this guy? What's going on? It's always a powwow. You get the feeling that there's just more than one dude in a semi-dark room flipping frantically through like dry yellow pages of some arcane document, desperately trying to figure out what, in fact, they all decided upon back in the misty and murky past. Anyway, at halftime, it was 24 to 21 in a thriller. Posted a great pick from that point, too. It was a beautiful night. So after a penalty kick, it was the Crusaders, as usual, starting to assert some dominance Though it was still a catchable prospect, and Blues appeared to score before it was waved off. Just, I mean, edge-of-your-seat stuff. However, that most unsatisfying of endings with Blues committing a penalty over their own ball, and with the whistle, this one was wrapped up well and good. 28-34 to 34 for the ironically invading Crusaders. What a game. What a start to Super Rugby. So in the rest of the action, Friday just had the one match. It was Hurricanes versus Waratahs. I was pretty excited about this one. You know, and right at the top, they they somehow had TJ Paranara helping out on comms. It was awesome. He was wearing a little cricket sweater, which I only learned because of people kind of adding me on Twitter about it. Um, I loved it. Anyway, such a good game. It turned into just back and forth, tons of incredible play. It was an exciting 17 to 12 at the break. And by the end, it was Hurricanes by double, 34 to 17, Chiefs. Versus Rebels was up next, with the Chiefs putting their perfect record on the line on an absolutely gorgeous day. Cowbells, a constant cacophonous chorus raining down. The home team were a bit slow out of the gates, but soon overtook their guests. And with the incredible Sean Stevenson getting a beauty late in the first half, they took a 27-13 advantage into the lockers. More on him later. It turned into a bit of a laugh for this one. Uh, Defense definitely optional. Chiefs. We're already up 44 to 20 when they finally brought in Damian McKenzie with under 10 minutes to go. The Rebels managed another unconverted tribe, but that's as close as they would get. Chiefs winning 44 to 25 and remaining undefeated on the year. Brumbies versus Moana Pacifica was a runner up for game of the week, according to our poll. And we were back in Canberra where the Brumbies have won 20 of their last 25 matches. We were again treated to the beautiful pre-match singing we've been shown in the Moana Pacifica locker rooms ahead of the kickoff. Just a lovely touch. I love that. Moana Pacifica, they came out firing, fairly pushed the home side around for a little while, scoring 14 points in as many minutes. But this is the Brummies, man. They were there for the fight early in the second half. It was 29 all in a gripping affair. Oh, I should probably mention, that's when the wheels came off. (laughs) Yeah, the Brummies, they absolutely poured it on to a biblical level dropping 62 and a 98 total point affair 62 yes i said 62 to 36 youch next up it was highlanders versus the force it looked on paper like my highlanders best shot at getting a win all year long but you know western force they're looking very confident this year The body language, when you watch these two sides running out, I mean, it looked like they were expecting a big away win, the Force. And the Highlanders, I gotta say, they looked scared. So this one was at Rugby Park in Invercargill, and that meant one thing. The donut truck was back. If you recall from last year, this park has like a wide open area where food trucks and various vendors come along. Every single one of which makes me super hungry. Hey, there's that super word again. So the comms read off the litany of injuries the Highlanders are dealing with at the moment. And I mean, why wouldn't they look despondent? Uh, this is quickly turning into a season to forget for my chosen team. And the, the road ahead looks long and difficult. 
Uh, they managed to take the first lead of the game, which I felt like might have been their first lead of the entire season thus far, but it was a tight one for sure. Mitch Hunt's painful-looking try after the clock had passed 40 was huge, making it 15-13 to 13 at the break. Side note, I want there to be a seagull competition. Like, what rugby park or stadium brings the most seagulls overhead? I feel sure the top two are Sports Ground in Galway, where my iconic guys play, and this one in Invercargill. And by the way, can we place over-under bets on how long it takes for a kick to just nail one of those suckers? Anyway, lots of lead changes in the second half, but a late try by the home team seemed to put it away. It was at long last by Highlanders finally getting a win, 43-35 to by the end. And as a parting comment, they mentioned that Highlanders haven't lost at Invercargill since 2013. Um, new home stadium, anyone? Anyway. The Reds versus the Fijian Drua wrapped up the round, and despite a careless Reds team that, frankly, couldn't buy a line-out, and despite, again, needing a furious comeback late to even get close, the, the Drua just didn't have enough in the tank this time. They fell 27-24 in an exciting one when all was said and done for that round. Okay, moving over just slightly to the Super Rugby Alpiki. It was the semifinal round. We had the Chiefs Manawa versus the Hurricanes Pua. Both of these games, though, I mean, they were so hard fought. It was so good. But in this one, it was Chiefs scoring first, but the Pua would quickly level the scores. It was Tanika Willison getting a brace to retake the lead, but Hurricanes, they weren't going anywhere, scoring well past the 40-minute mark to keep within range. Around the 55-minute mark, it was a sublime kick pass over the top and to the corner for another score, and it was 28-21 in a great one. That was when the Manawa really pulled away. And when all was said and done, they'd punched their tickets to the final with a 43-21 victory to remain the only unbeaten team in this tournament. Matatu versus the Blues women was next. This was our, our other semifinals, and it was a uh, semifinal, and it was Kendra Reynolds, who I swear she runs like a rocket being fired into space. She got the first try of the day for Matatu, but the Blues would answer for with a couple of penalty kicks before dotting one down as well. It was 7-11, to 11, just a, after about a half hour or so. The home team, then, they came to life, scored two unanswered before we even reached halftime, mind you. And I wrote, game over, in my notes. But, you know, with three question marks, to be fair. As if reading my mind, Blues were like, uh, not today, chump. And after 60 minutes, uh, 68 minutes, it was an edge of your seat. 19 to 18 contest. What a weekend in this competition. Each team would score one more try after that, but it was Matatu making the extras and stealing the victory and their own place in the final 26 to 23. Just awesome stuff. So swinging, you know, halfway back around the globe, we were back in the States for a major league rugby. We had Nola versus Utah getting us started. Nola continued with the form they found last week, taking down and frankly, pushing around a confounding Utah Warriors team. It was 37 to 14 in this one. Atlanta versus San Diego was next. Atlanta didn't put much a, uh, put up much of a fight in the gorilla cage, um, dropping a home game to a rolling San Diego Legion side, 10 to 35 in that one. DC versus Toronto saw Old Glory bounce back in a big way, laying the smack down on the visiting arrows who only managed a single penalty all day. The hosts managed four tries, each by a different player, by the way, and came away big winners, 29-3 in Leesburg. 
And then, oh, this is so good. Chicago versus Dallas was the non-Free Jacks game of the week in Major League Rugby, mostly because they did such an amazing job marketing it, dubbing it the Dog Bowl, and combining the game day experience with a dog show and dog adoption, as well as bring your pup to the park theme. Oh my gosh, what a day that must have been. Keep up with that great work, marketing social media folks. You are crushing it. Quick side note. When you look at this game on the Major League Rugby website, click any details like top scores, and it says fetching data, which is deliciously apropos. Meanwhile, they also played an incredibly close game, each side looking to get their first W of the young season. Fun tidbit, there were seven tries overall, but just one conversion. What's up with that? Another fun tidbit, uh, Chicago has Luke Cardi, USA Eagle and younger brother of Jack Cardi, a signing I just hadn't even noticed until today somehow. Either way, it was a nail-biter. The team is locked at 10 at halftime. Dallas would take the lead just before the 70-minute mark, 21-22. to However, we all know how snake-bit these jackals have been in their history, and sure enough, it was Chicago kicking a penalty with just three minutes remaining to go up 24-22, to which is where that one would end. Disappointing for, earlier mentioned, Dr. Worthy who is a long-suffering Jackal supporter. By the way, they now are in possession of the longest losing streak in Major League Rugby history at 21. Yee! So we finished up the weekend with the New York Paralegals versus my beloved Free Jacks. It was our final match of the weekend and the round. In case you didn't catch it, yes, I've had to stop calling them New Jersey as they now do, in fact, technically play in new york you know a little embarrassed but there it is they they finally made it to the big city anyway it was all-time leading point scorer sam windsor getting new york on the board first but local new england hero cam davidovitz he answered for his second try in as many weeks followed by a simple one in the corner for paul uh, paula balacana who the comms called paulo might have to check on that one. McDonald, he had another great showing. The comms said, well, he fulfills Alex Magleby's quota for gingers in the squad, which pretty much cracked me up and still does. Uh, A really close one. We were up a single point at halftime, but Balacana was in for a brace in the opening moments of the second stanza. Immediate fan favorite since he got here. Jason Patras had yet another really strong showing on the day. And after the lead changed hands twice in a row, we were able to buckle down put it away a convincing away win for my guys 18 to 33 at the end makes me wonder just how many former all blacks will this cause new york to hire for the rematch later this season right uh... well by that music, you will know, of course, it's time for this week's Diamond and the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Sean Stevenson. Mr. Stevenson, you were by far the most hyped player this week ahead of the Super Rugby action. And, my friend, it was well-deserved. Your brace of absolute beauties were scored with a calm grace that completely belied their difficulty level. And that was just an offense. You were immense on both sides of the ball, gave your team a confidence and an energy that told everyone there was simply no way you were losing this weekend. My friend, you've got future all black written all over you. And I'll say right now, 
I think we can expect even more brilliance from you come the World Cup in France. Sean Stevenson, New Zealand darling and fullback extraordinaire, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, finishing up with our updates and previews, and there is a lot of rugby coming your way this coming weekend, starting with the Premiership. We're back to the one three one Friday, Saturday, Sunday schedule with Newcastle hosting Gloucester on Friday, followed by Leicester versus Bristol, Saracens versus Harlequins, ooh, nice one, and London Irish versus Northampton on the Saturday, and then it's Bath at home, oh no, versus Exeter. At least we're not, it's not an Exeter home game. So the URC will feature two Friday fixtures with Zebra still looking for their first win of the year as they host Cardiff. And then a huge clash with Leinster taking on the Stormers at the RDS. Whoo, that's going to be good. On Saturday, oh, actually, are Leinster going to have their full squad? Or the Italians all going to be away. Stormers are going to be ripped, right? Anyway, Saturday, Benetton are back home to face the Lions. Ospreys welcome Dragons. Connacht are at the sports ground for Edinburgh. Scarlets host the Sharks. Munster have a big one against Glasgow at Thoman Park. Woo! Can't wait for that one. And finally, Ulster take on the Bulls. The top 14 is back to its usual calendar with Cast versus Toulouse, uh, Bayonne versus Poe, Lyon versus Toulon, Clermont versus Brive, Perpignan versus Montpellier, and Bordeaux Beg versus La Rochelle for your Saturday matches. And then a Parisian battle as Stade Francais host. Racing 92 on Sunday. Of course, back here at home, the MLR keeps on keeping on. And on Saturday, it'll be my Free Jacks back at home for the flannel disco party against the Dallas Jackals. Then it's DC versus NOLA, Utah versus Toronto, Houston versus Atlanta with Chicago versus Seattle on Sunday. Don't forget the following weekend, it's back to the EPCR and the knockout stages in Europe, not Europe. Very, very excited for that. But third week in a row, I'm saying it. March is rugby month because it's also the women's six nations. I can't believe it. There's so much stuff. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And I, for one, am very excited for the start of Women's Six Nations. As I mentioned before, our plan had been to chat with the incredible Rachel Law to pre- for like a, a Six Nations preview episode. But she's in Scotland camp this very weekend and I'm a scatterbrain, so we couldn't quite get it together. We will, however, do a special bonus app in just a couple of weeks to talk all about it. I highly recommend you tune in for that one for sure. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.